1: Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to the Voice of Reason Programming Hour. Today's guest is Dr. Oren Amate. He's a psychologist and speaker of psychological matters. Today we get into a range of topics, but I think mostly we talk about the internet the culture of the internet and what sorts of behaviors the internet inspires and what sorts of behaviors we could be bringing towards the internet or having in our own lives that would reflect a better sort of together out there in this online sphere. So this guy is like oozing wisdom, like an overripe, like owl banana or something like that. I don't want you to take the Metaphor in the wrong way, so I'm just gonna dump you right in. I wanted to venture wherever you want to adventure um, But there's this APA guidelines for psychological practices with boys and yep. men that I've been going through I think it's kind of interesting. I wanted to do like just me Breaking it down, but I don't have the chops to really pick it apart. Do you have a reaction to this? Have you read? Yeah, it?
0: yeah, I've already torn it apart a couple of times Okay, and yeah. I was at the Quillette thing. I mean we can talk about it when I was at the Quillette uh, event on Sunday and so many people were talking about that. It was part of some people's speeches as well. So it's oh, definitely, okay. yeah. And we're the only ones talking about it. No one else in the media really is doing this. It's, it's amazing. Uh, a few people on AM, like we have a station called AM six forty, a bit conservative. Mm. Uh, they have me on all the time, and they've mm. had me on for a couple of times in the last week uh, to talk about it or to incorporate it into the discussion that we were having.
1: Another sort of discussion. Is it something worth talking about? I mean, oh, it's fuck just yeah. okay. Fuck. It is. Then oh, this God is going to have God. an effect. Oh yeah,
0: huge. And I, I'm not one for hyperbole, uh, but this I think potentially is going to have a huge effect um, because if you think about it, uh, at least in Canada, uh, and we follow the APA guidelines, uh, you know, it just kind of it informs our practice. And if you think yeah. about it, uh, that you know, eighty percent of psychologists are women. OK, mm-hmm. so they're seeing this. They don't know what, you know, real masculinity is. And a lot of them are coming out of school, they're being indoctrinated with this kind of thinking. So it will affect um, hmm. either a. I and mean, we'll talk more about it, but it's going to talk the practice. And I'm telling you right now, I predict uh, in the courts, in family courts. Really? It's going to come up. My husband was, you know, abusing my children by, you know, teaching them this traditional masculinity or something along those lines. So, yeah, I think it's going to actually have quite a big effect. Hmm.
1: I, I just I read it. I read about half of it and they, they go through a bunch of different definitions of stuff and They never define masculinity the closest they come is masculine ideology But they never right. give it doesn't seem like they give a positive reference for what the masculine is right Which, well is that they, by design or Do yeah, they that misread part, I it? don't
0: know yeah, I, I'm not sure I think it's just it's they're so blinded by their ideology that I don't think it was some Nefarious tactic to to hmm. fuck over men but mm. I do think that just you know because they buy into. I mean, if you look at it, and I read it last week, so I'm not uh, like I've f- I got the ten points, but they keep mentioning the patriarchy as if it's basically saying blah 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 gravity. So I yeah. think that's what really drives it is just an un- unquestioning uh, acceptance that this patriarchy exists. This is what's causing people problems, etc. So I-, I think it's hmm. a, it's a, for the most part, I think it's it's a um, it's a heartfelt um, uh, hmm. belief in an ideology that has no real merit
1: Hmm. there's this phrase that's batted around uh Hmm. in certain internet forums of the it seems like what's happening is that normalcy is being pathologized and pathology is being normalized does that ring true for you at all like there's this uh there's this kind of this concept creep of some sort of by way of acceptance, that we are just supposed to accept any given behavior as not normal or not normal or crazy or not crazy. We just need to root everything into acceptance. And it seems like psychology is instrumental in, in changing our attitudes towards certain sorts of st- psychological states, towards the good, but it seems like it might be going a little too far. Uh, does that ring a bell at all with you?
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, the irony is I often tell people, uh, when they used to talk about the uh, psychologist's role in uh, accepting uh, homosexuality, I used to say, you give us way too much credit, okay, because I said, nobody listens to psychologists, we don't have that much power, Uh, and I said that people start to accept homosexuality because it's nothing to be not accepted, (laughs) you know, like, Mm. they came, they were able to come to terms and realize, okay, like, like, there's nothing wrong with it, it's, you know, it's not harming anybody, it's not immoral it's well it could be immoral by religious but you know it's not uh, you know there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing inherently pathological about it but today i think that psychologists are you know we're finally being listened to mm-hmm. and the stuff that we are promoting is exactly what you were saying about this acceptance of pathology and patho- or was it normalizing of pathology and pathologizing the normal so yeah mm-hmm. I, I do think that we are playing a role in that um so yeah finally we're being listened to and this is when we should be shutting up so
1: uh yeah oh, interesting stuff. yeah huh is there like uh I, I guess uh, <laughs> sorry to just jump right in. that's what I usually do because I just have so much questions, but of course, of course, we can oh. slow down, relax, you can tell me about oh. how you got into psychology if you want unless you're tired of introducing yourself in that way.
0: Um, I, I just it's not a great it's not some great story. Um, I just I prefer focusing more on what I do once I got in here or how yeah. why I'm different than other psychologists. Uh, not that I'm unique, but, you know, there's a small percentage of us who have the same kind of mindset uh, that I could talk about because, again, yeah. my backstory is not. I mean, my backstory itself is interesting, but vis-a-vis psychology, man, not so much.
1: OK, so what is what what's your interest now and how did you gravitate towards it within your practice?
0: Well, my practice, I, I've always just been interested in helping people, you know, that's kind of that's what brought me here. That's why it's not such a fascinating story. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that I had some—I don't know—some capacity to relate to people, to be able to see things from a really different perspective and an open mind. And that's where the backstory is interesting because, here's the part I will, you know, kind of give a bit of information on. Uh, you know, my mother opened up Canada's first sex store in 1972, about 46 years ago to the day, basically. It's around this time, 46 years ago. Okay. Uh, for, unfortunately, it closed last year. Um, hmm. But. You know, being raised in that environment certainly you know gives me a very open and different perspective. Uh, she was a hippie. My dad's a hippie. He's a very radical, um, or he was an animator. He still is and an artist uh, with bipolar disorder. So, you know, our environment was different. Uh, he was very anti. He was anti-oppression. When you know back, he was basically ostracized from his in, the the uh, intellectual elites back in Israel. Uh, over 50 years ago because he was standing up and saying, you can't treat Palestinians and Arabs as mm. bad as you are. And a lot of the people you know that he ran around in circles, the intellectuals and the artists, believe it or not, they had that mindset that they were inferior. So mm. you know my parents never rammed any ideology down my throat. They never tried to you know make me think a certain way. but just through the way they acted, through what they did, I was able to see that, look, if you believe in something, stand up for it. Go against the grain. Uh, don't accept anything as fact, you know, like, just blindly. You have to question it. And that's how I was really raised. And again, they never pushed that on me. That's just the way we lived. It, it, it was organic. And I always like to toss it now. Plus, we had a monkey. Not sure the their <laughs> but that just, you know. And my, they also, they adopted children really, really young. My brother's black. My sister, she was white. Uh, but they both turned out being gay and lesbian. all the people at my mom's hmm. store were gay all the sorry all the women it was all women and then they hired a bunch of men. they just happened to be gay. And we're talking like almost 50 years ago yeah. uh, 46 you know years ago I'm meeting these people and it was never like I was introduced hmm. as hi, this is Bob, he's gay you know it was just this is Bob, this is Jalil, this is whoever. And hmm. you know so my norms were never the normal norms. they were hmm. just they are what they are and my mother was the breadwinner. You know uh, and mm-hmm. she was a very strong woman so you know being raised in that perspective or in that environment yeah when I started working with people I would meet someone and I didn't have any expectations I learned to see people mm-hmm. for what they were doing how they presented themselves I didn't have preconceived notions if you come to me and you look this way or that way it's like I, I wasn't I wasn't raised with those types of uh, you know precepts or preconcepts so that's kind of what I don't know. I think made me more effective as a psychologist mm-hmm. was being able to see people for who they really are, yeah. uh, and, and not ever being shocked or offended or anything by what they said. It was just like, yeah, okay, you know. Uh, and when people, when they, when they get the sense that the person you're talking to genuinely or organ, organically just is like, all right, tell me. You're know, like, it's it's not going to turn me off. It's not going to push me back or whatever yeah. else. People started opening up. So. You know, I was doing this and doing this, and then over the years, um, I just started seeing a shift, whether it was with my patients or with my students, where I was really seeing a lot of people being confused about how to conduct themselves, who they are, what is right, like what is the right way to be a man or a woman, Mm, you mm. know, about relationships and so on, Uh, and I really, like I've seen it more and more over the last number of years, Hmm. And I, I looked into it. and I was realizing, oh, and I, you know, I started seeing the, the shift in how people were talking. And, you know, I, my family's very, very left, uh, very liberal. And, you know, and I've been that way my whole life. Not, you know, so originally it, it was so insidious because I was thinking, OK, what's wrong with accepting gay people or the trans people or anything else like that? That's how I was raised. That was, yeah. you know, I, so I, I couldn't really fathom why it was so confusing to people. You know, like to be accepting. Know, to be accepting, okay. yeah, and, and to promote, you know, equality of women and to promote not raping women and stuff like yeah. that. I thought, yeah. why is this so difficult? But then when I looked into it and I really saw, oh, this is how people are presenting the message. This is how it's being conveyed. And at the same time, it, you know, these positive messages were being conveyed. A whole bunch of other stuff that was based not on fact but ideology hmm. was also being tossed in on the mix in the mix. And that was confusing people who, you know, if if, especially if they were younger, this is what they were being raised to 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 accept or to to believe. So when I started seeing this, and I saw firsthand with my students and with my patients, and I've taught a lot of classes, I've taught uh, like almost 180 classes over the years. So I've worked with so many young people and older as well. Mm -hmm. uh, That kind of really told me that something's going amiss, that good intentions are being distorted, and I didn't really hear that many people talking about it. So I started speaking out years ago, and then when Jordan Peterson uh, made his first videos, the infamous videos two yeah. years and a few months ago, as soon as that came out, I saw, A, I you know I knew exactly what he was talking about because I'd been seeing it as well, and mm. B, I also knew, oh, he's gonna get blowback because he didn't handle the trans part of it correctly. And yeah. I made a podcast like right afterwards saying, if I were in Jordan's position, this is how I would have done it. I would have said the trans issue is not really an issue. Don't get caught up in that. Hmm. This is what I'm really saying. You know, more about compelled speech, yeah. about uh, you know the insidious undertones that are going to manifest in different ways. Not just about using pronouns. There's so much more. And over his I don't know what 10,000 interviews he's given since then, yeah. he's really <laughs> refined his message. So yes. I think people are hearing it much better. Which is why most people who hear him, they go, Oh, I get it. He's not mm. saying down with trans. He's saying these are the issues we got to worry about. So. Yeah. Now, that's, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got dragged into into this, or I didn't know I didn't get dragged. I'm sorry, I jumped into it because, you know, again, I, I saw it years before.
1: Yeah, do you have a model or a concept of what is, is there like a name that you find useful to put on this insidious part of what's going on? Like this uh, con- compelling, uh, I don't know if totalitarian is the word, or uh, a. a sp- Aspirational authoritarian, I don't know what it is. Um, some people right. call it cultural marxism. some there's all these different names, and I, I know that there's there's a fault with any given name that we put on things, but is there something that you found useful in order to diagnose it or to point to it?
0: well, i I haven't used any pithy catchphrases, um except mm-hmm. for the one that I say is that people don't understand that being self-righteous doesn't make you righteous. yeah you know? I think and I think that's a big part of it. It really is mm-hmm. because. Um, it really is. I, I, I've said this so many times. The impetus is good intention yes. for some of the people. Like I, I think there are some nefarious actors as well, mm-hmm. but for the most part, either the people starting it or the people just blindly going along with it, right? they want to be good people. They want to yes. be righteous, but they go about it very self-righteously and they do it blindly. Um, like I just, so I don't have a, a label for it, but I use the same term. They talk about blindly okay. following the ideology, promoting yeah. agendas, uh, without questioning it. And it's reckless application of good mm. intentions.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the origin, <laughs> uh, since you're a psychologist, you might have an interesting answer to this, but what do you think the origin of, uh, self-righteousness is? Uh, it, it.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a few. I think the number one, truly, there's absolutely no doubt. The number one um, is a lack of insight. Because, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also, I'd say a few things. It's lack of insight, and it's a lack of empathy, and a lack of perspective, uh, or perspective-taking, which in many ways is empathy. And the reason I say that is, being Mm -hmm. self-righteous, you believe that you are above others, or you are in a position where you can look down on others and say, I am so great, or whatever else. And if you think that you as a normal human being have that ability or that right to do so you can't have any insight because hmm. an insightful person would go, no, I, I, I can't put myself in this position. So that's, uh, the, the lack of insight and the lack of perspective or the ability to take other people's perspective and the lack of empathy is that they don't understand a, how they come across. They really don't see that. Hmm. And that's part of lack of insight as well. They don't see that other people see them very differently
1: Yeah,
0: and B they don't think about the impact that their words can have on other on other people whether it's directly if i'm calling you a nazi right directly or down the line if i'm mm. say, if i'm trying to promote programs or ideologies or policy changes that you know that are huge i really need to think could this go awry could people misinterpret it could people use it you know in yeah. the wrong way right and you have to have you know judgment you have to have perspective to be able to you know think ahead to that and people who are self-righteous, they have none of that. They're just caught up in the moment trying to prove yeah. how great they are and how superior they are. It really is. A, it's about superiority. It and almost so
1: seems like it, it pairs with, I, I just intuitively, I think it has something to do with education or a lack of curiosity. And and curiosity will lead you into engaging with the world in a way that, that will foster... Uh, a certain stance of asking questions of, of looking for more more depth into what you're you're looking at and then how you are performing in a way it and that almost ties back to a lack of education or something is wrong with the way that we're teaching people now do you is
0: that well I agree with everything except for the lack of education because there are some very educated people who are still pulling this crap because they're choosing mm-hmm. not to access the education okay. that they've had Um, Hmm. I think it's, it's the lack of a certain type of education, the education that would lead them to do what you said. The number one thing you said about this curiosity, um, and there's a bit of humility as well. If you're right, the humility in saying that I think I have a good idea, but I don't know how it's going to be received. I don't know if it's actually going to play out the way I expect. And that's part of the curiosity. I mean, everything we're talking about, really, I think curiosity is a great word, uh could could be kind of Mm -hmm. regressed down to this curiosity if you don't have that curiosity you don't have this you know impetus to 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 learn you know again about yourself about how Mm -hmm. the impact that you're having about the uh, impact of your actions so yeah that's why i think it's more about the curiosity or Mm -hmm. you know rather than education the more educated people are unfortunately sorry educated (laughs) people are right the less inclined they are to to look inside and go, okay, maybe I'm not as smart as I think. Certain people. Yeah. Right?
1: Well, if, like you said earlier, you, you noticed a pattern a few years back of people becoming more and more confused. You right. said about, like, how do they fit into society? What is the category man and woman? And maybe all these different things that they're confused about. And how do um, I conduct
0: myself properly?
1: And how do I conduct myself properly? Uh, and I wonder if one way of compensating for confusion is to just jump at certainty and and conviction is a way to to compensate for confusion and I, i've noticed this especially um growing up christian and there's a lot of excellent christians and a lot of great work that that christianity continues to do uh, that gl- gets glossed over because of the bad apples and stuff. But there is right. there's a phenomena within religion of the the fundamentalist. Right. Uh, and or the and that's probably not the right word, but somebody who's so overly convinced that they're right, that they don't understand that they don't initiate the process of of understanding how to communicate that. They just they they reduce everything into these taglines and stuff. But there's this underlying uh, there's this underlying. Uh, what's the word? Um the opposite of, of certainty the opposite of confidence under there like the, the less confident you are the more
0: there's an insecurity there's insecure.
1: A... yeah that's that's what I'm right. going for
0: yeah and when you were talking earlier you said that I want to jump in and say that it's I, I see that as well um, now hmm. not everyone who's self-righteous is insecure but in many times uh, people who people who are insecure usually lack insight because to have insight you have to be very secure in yourself because to truly introspect and look inward takes a lot of courage, because mm. you're going to see a lot of things that you don't like. You know, if you really are honest with yourself, you're going to go, "Wow, I'm not the person, the idealized version of myself." <laughs> yeah. Right? So that self-righteous is is the antithesis of that. And you're absolutely right. Um, people who don't have that confidence, who want that certainty, who want simple answers. You know, who mm. want a sense, of, an illusion of control. To me, by by the way, just you know. I'm writing a book right now, and mm-hmm. um, the, the premise really is about uh, how the need for control, you know, to, it, it's so fundamental to who we are mm-hmm. as humans, mm-hmm. to all animals. We have to learn to control or master our environment. And the people who, who are lacking that sense of control, well, if you felt from a young age that you don't have control, of course you're going to be insecure. You don't mm-hmm. have a, a feeling that I have an, uh, an impact on others or on my environment, what we call self-efficacy. If you're lacking Mm -hmm. that, that's terrifying. So if you think, well, all I have to do is join this group, align myself with that, think this way, you know, if I do that, that will make me a good person, a righteous person, a self-righteous person, right? Well, they don't Mm -hmm. think self-righteous, but yeah, right. These are simple answers or solutions, solutions, right, that give people that sense of comfort because insecurity, the opposite of that would be more of the security and comfort, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what they're looking for. Uh, but they're getting a cheap. they're they' they're doing it in the cheapest and most mm. ineffectual way. And again, it manifests in many ways as self-righteousness,
1: yeah, yeah, it it it. It works immediately in the moment, but it doesn't have a good effect. It seems like, yeah, since exactly. this is a social phenomena, do you think that there's a social um, cause to it? Is there something in, uh, let's just say, Canadian American culture that uh, doesn't foster the correct sort of uh, security and confidence in oneself? Is there something about um, the the breakdown or the trans the rapid transformation of a North American culture that is feeding into this. Do you have any thoughts on the cultural cause?
0: Yeah, I mean, this the cultural uh, history, or you know, is is not my uh, forte. Uh, like, so I can't go back and date certain things and say you know yeah, give names, yeah. right? But. Having really studied this over the last number of years, you know, both just you know through, through my readings, through watching other people or listening to them uh, and, and through working with uh, my students and knowing psychology, sorry, students and patients, uh, I hate to sound like Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson, okay, but <laughs> I think they've really nailed it in certain ways, and to me there's a few of them. You know, Ben talks about the the breakdown of religion, right? Uh, you know of religion as a guide, and I was not raised yeah. religiously. In any way. I was raised to be a good person, to be a humanist, mm-hmm. you know, absent religion. Uh, and that's one of the reasons my father, again, got kicked out of his country or ran out of okay. his country, out of Israel, because he was saying, look, you know, the things that you guys are doing, you're doing it in the name of Judaism, because, you know, these Arabs or Palestinians are not of yeah. the same tribe, right? And literally of tribes, um, you know. So he was very anti religion in that regard. So he never taught us. He was more science fact based, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. even though he's an artist. Uh, so, Even though I'm going to sound like Ben Shapiro, I'm not saying that that's the solution, but Mm -hmm. I do believe that we didn't have a solution in place to replace this breakdown of the religion. Because what religion gives you, uh, in some ways, it gives you a structure, it gives you, it basically gives you guidelines, it tells Mm -hmm. you how to be a good person. And what Jordan Peterson would say, whether he's talking about religion or psychologically speaking, I do believe that it is a crisis of meaning. That, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is, you know, this is something that's been with humans forever, right? So many people lack a sense of meaning or purpose. And I don't mean some grand meaning, what's my point in the universe, but more Mm -hmm. like on a day to day basis, you know, am I doing something that really is fulfilling as a human being? And I tell my patients, I don't sell happiness. I never promise them happiness. I say, I sell, I I try to promote meaning, purpose, goals, and fulfillment. And I say, if you do that, I guarantee you'll be happy. Right. Be satisfied and happy. So we're missing that.
1: Yeah. So in a way, I was going to ask this earlier, but I was wondering about your heuristic goal when you are dealing with somebody on a, in the role of a psychologist or you trying to get them to become healthy, but it seems like you're, you're trying to enable them or empower them to find and build their own purpose and meaning and is that like a like almost a i don't want to get stuck in the word games but like a transcendental goal that doesn't have necessarily like a state of health you're not you're not going to go through and say well this is unhealthy this is healthy this is unhealthy this is healthy but you you reorient their their arc through life in a more narrative frame like
0: well it's funny that um narrative has always been a big thing for me okay and the original book i was going to write or i started writing many years ago was self-narrative okay. uh because i always said there has to be some reason that evolution has blessed us with this capacity for language beyond any other you know creature yeah. so you know the stories that we tell or you know the self-narrative is very important so i do help people with that but i mean it depends on the problem that they're coming to me with but it doesn't have to be so you know abstract or esoteric and many times, it's very simple. Sometimes I do say, that is wrong, not because I'm standing okay. in judgment, but I'm saying, look at what you're doing and look at the outcome. That's yeah. not delivering the outcome that you want. That's how we okay. know it's wrong. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, and it's, even in relationships, uh, I, I, I deal with a lot of couples, and I always tell mm. them, I say, my goal is not to keep you together. My goal <laughs> is to, you know, and I say that to them, that relieves a lot of them. You know, uh, I've had yeah. a lot of patients tell me, they say, the first day that you said that, you know, they said, it kind of threw me off, but they said, I understood it afterwards because if we're not meant for each other, if something's mm. so broken that we can't repair it, why yeah. would we be killing ourselves trying to fix it? So I say, no, yeah. my goal is to help you both find a path that best suits each of you. And if there's children, you know, try not to damage the children too much. Yeah. Right. So I operate on different levels. Um, mm. So you know, I have a philosophy that kind of drives me in the background, yeah. uh, and I'll relate it to my patients. But I'm a really practical, pragmatic person you know yeah. uh, in therapy and i really so so i try to actualize all the stuff you and i are talking about in concrete actions you know yes. in, in right cuz yeah. that's something, because otherwise it's just talk i tell people i tell my patients you see me 1 hour a week you have 167 hours in the rest of the week to actually do I don't want to just talk here. Otherwise, that's just mental masturbation. Mm-hmm. I want you to actually go out and make some changes, you know, confront the things, do things differently, rewire the brain. You're literally reprogramming your brain and reconditioning yourself every time you do something different from how you mm-hmm. were doing it before. Uh, and I, again, that that requires bravery, you know, to, yeah. to do things differently, to, to challenge things, to confront things that you were afraid to do before, whether it's an action or a thought.
1: It seems like, in a sense, a certain contingent of the self-righteous activist culture is trying to diagnose the ills of society, right? They're trying to be the psychologist for society as this... Thing. And so they, they propose different narratives onto society, um, maybe more or less prescriptively needs to be worked out through policy. But do you think that it's possible to diagnose a society or can you only ever interact with individuals and speak to individuals?
0: That's a good question. Um, you I don't know. if Yeah, hmm. you definitely have to work at the individual level. Uh, I mean, we, governments are there for, you know, to, for, for the, the greater structure yeah, or the education system. And so on. Yeah. Right. Um, I, that's a, yeah, that's a good question because we can't deny that there is a, uh, let's say a global narrative. Well, let's say global, let's say, yeah. like, you know, within a culture, within a mini culture, uh, whether that's Canada or the States yeah. or North the American
1: North. dream, for instance, or right. Right. Something like that. You
0: know. So there are those things there and you know, again as I hate to keep citing Jordan Peterson, but some of these narratives seem inherent to humans, right? These these archetypes. It seems that yeah. for whatever reason it we've had them since the beginning. So we can't deny that those are there and we can't deny that there are certain actual systems in place. It's the way the person relates to that system that we make the change individually that's where the individual comes in so i can say you know if i have a black patient i can say yeah you face racism this way this way this way but i would never want them to feel that they are now uh, a slave to the fate you know of hmm. of the system because i know i know i have i you know i know many black people who don't feel that way uh, and you know and so i look at what what was what happened in their environment or what thought process did they engage in, or what what own remedies did they invoke in order to put themselves in a healthier place? And I try to incorporate that into my discussions, for example, with you know, the black person I'm speaking with in that moment, or the woman or the gay person, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, and, and all those people are individuals. They found a different path to get to a better place, yeah, even if the society is sick. You know, If it's mm-hmm. so sick, like let's say with Nazi Germany, No matter what you say, and you can have a bunch of intelligent people and and good hearted people in a coffee shop talking about how bad Nazism is, but in cases like that, there's no way to change that system. And no matter what you do, Hmm. in most cases, right, the system's still going to operate a certain way and and you're going to still feel miserable. But Hmm. we don't live in that environment. I still think that there's enough um, flexibility in the system that any individual, or most Hmm. individuals, sorry, most individuals can find a way to operate within it. In a way that produces the best outcome for them, and we hope for society. Like, and mm-hmm. when I say society, by the way, I always tell people I only focus on my tiny slice of the universe, right? The people that I directly impact. Um, you know, and I try to get people to look at that as well because that's more mm-hmm. manageable. It's too overwhelming to say capitalism is this or you know this <laughs> democracy is that. Look at your own section. Deal okay. with that right that's yes. that's the approach i take and i hope i forgot what the original question was but i hope that that almost somehow coincides with the question
1: well yeah and this is tangential too i guess the whole conversation might be just one big long tangent of tangents <laughs> but um I, mean, I, I wonder if if one way in which if, and we cannot talk about this. I, I don't know if this is correct to talk about, but I am really like looking a lot at activism culture. And that's kind of like what I, something I've been thinking a lot about and, and looking at. And, and I'm trying to get to a place where I can provide uh, resources for people to avoid going down that path or to see it as what I think it is, which is kind of toxic in itself and kind of destructive to to human relationships, let's just say, and constraint to that. Um, And it seems like in one way that an activist who is uh, in a position to want to change the world but can't deal with capitalism, they break it down into, well, I'm going to be the champion for this one little group. And... uh, for instance, what we started mentioning at the beginning about like trans rights activism, like radical trans rights activism, and mm-hmm. the way that it is uh, being implemented in various systems, various companies are implementing this. Like Twitter is now cutting people off who misgender people, and uh, the UK has some laws that they're they're juggling, playing with with self ID. And it seems like where where was my question? It seems like if you represent like one group, then it's more manageable, but that still still has that blind spot of like, how am I being an effective activist for this group? How am I being an effective representative of this group or for this group? And questions like that are, it seems like they are often not asked by the people who are doing the most damage to the cause, who are, um, they might be temporarily in power and be able to, you know, report you. But in the long run, I, I think perhaps that, that'll cause a bigger backlash and and set down assimilation or acceptance back much further than if these people reconfigured how they're interacting with the world. So I guess let's try to formulate a question. How do you you think is the best way to persuade people uh, from being like a negative sort of radical, uh, like a very furious, um, fundamentalist kind of uh, uh, simplistic binary thinking us versus them kind of uh, activist?
0: Right. Well, uh, first of all, what you just described, that last part, especially the binary thinking, you know, us versus them, that's beyond activists right now, because that's really engrossed it's or. America, uh, OK. Right. It's an, uh, because like the, that's the identity politics. Right. It's gotten mm-hmm. so bad. And I'm going to say North America. I know we have like, what, 20 something countries in North America. but When I say North America, I only Canada and America. Yeah. OK. Um, so what I'm about to say is not just for the extreme activists, but I think it's for anybody. And, you know, Peterson got, sorry, there should be a drinking game. Every time he says Peterson. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Right. But the fact is he said it, so I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, that I'm not recognizing what yeah, he so said.
1: You're a good, right? you're a good uh, academic. You cite your sources. <laughs> there we go. That's
0: right. <laughs> no plagiarism here. So... Um, You know, people mocked him for the whole clean your own, you know, clean your damn, clean your damn room, right? But the fact is, that is such a perfect metaphor. You know, it's Hmm. literal as well, but it's a metaphor. And that's what I try to do with people, not those words per se. But I try to get them. So I say, if you want to be a good activist or if you want to promote some group or cause or anything else like that, I say there's a few things. I say, first of all, you really have to look and see Am I neglecting something about myself in doing this? Is this really just another way of avoiding working Mm. on myself? Now, people said that Peterson said, you know, like you shouldn't try to fix the world until you've, you know, worked on, you know, fixed yourself. I don't believe that. I think you shouldn't try to fix the world until you've worked on yourself, until Mm. you recognize that you can't do one to the exclusion of the other. You have to make sure that you're not not being true to yourself. You have to be true to yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to know who you are in order to do that. Right. So I try to help people focus on that. Number one. And then I say, if you want to help a cause, I say, look at the people. And you, you, you alluded to this. I said, look at the people who are the toxic ones, the ones who are turning people away from the cause. I say, look at the similarities that they have. and They all have the same commonalities. Mm-hmm. I know this because I deal with dozens of this, <laughs> dozens of them every day on Twitter. Yeah. Right. And it goes back to the self-righteousness, the aggressiveness, the distortion of words, throwing, you know, throwing labels at people and everything like that. And I tell them, I say, when you act like that, you are not going to get anybody onto your side. You're getting brownie points from the people who already agree with you. Right. Mm. And as you said, like, it's a short term fix. Maybe you put one, you know, bad person, quote unquote, in their place in the moment or you got them banned from Twitter. But the reality is, you pissed off 20 or 50 or 100 other people by doing that, right? So I say, look at the people who are successful, and they're all the same. And sadly, hmm. sadly, um, there is a sentiment among certain people that what I'm about to say somehow is 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 the wrong way to do it. And I'm just, oh my god, I can't believe this now. It's um, it's. I'm, I, after I had open heart surgery last year, and I've had been on meds, and I'm off the meds now, but it still kind of it makes me search for words. Okay, the okay. word I'm looking for, I'm gonna, I'm saying Tom Jones, but it's not Tom Jones. It's um, the black person who sells themselves out. The acting Uncle uh, Tom. Yeah. Uncle Tom. Thank you. let say Tom Jones. Yeah. Uncle Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So they're essentially likening anybody who conducts themselves admirably, somebody who's trying to build bridges, tr- mm-hmm. somebody who's trying to say, look, I am not the color of my skin or my sexual orientation or anything like that that's part of who i am but that's (laughs) not who i am please see me for the person i am and to paraphrase martin luther king judge me by not what i look like but what i do yeah right so i try to encourage people to take that mindset that you know be strong be assertive be true to your convictions but if you're an asshole. You're not going to compel people, or to you know, to help them see a different perspective. So that's what I try to get them to do. And then I tell them that the people who do just you know lash out and this and that. I say many of them, in mm. fact, have traumatic histories, okay, or unfavorable histories, probably a personality disorder. Okay, and I'm not diagnosing anyone specifically, but yeah, they okay. often do have uh, different personality disorders. Yeah. Um, you know, the, most, the two most common, actually, I'd say the three most common truly are either narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, I'd say psychopathy, but that's not a, t- a technical personality disorder, mm. or borderline personality disorder. And it's not a coincidence that those three personality disorders are part of the same cluster of personality disorders along mm. with histrionic personality disorder, okay? So I say that you don't want to conduct yourself like so- someone like that. Right. And I'm not denigrating somebody with a personality disorder, but I'm saying we know for a fact they don't conduct themselves very well. So that's where, you know, So it's kind of when I talk to people in these areas, I'm bouncing back between a who you are as a person. And and, and if you can be honest with yourself and see your flaws and everything like that, you're less likely to allow those flaws to kind of compel you to act in ways you wouldn't want to act. And then B, the way that you're relating to others and seeing the impact that you're having. So I I bounce back and forth with that and try to help them see there's a successful and an unsuccessful way. And I I think, you know, emulating those who are successful is the right way. And It doesn't make you an Uncle Tom. It doesn't make you a sellout. It makes you effective.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is there something about – oh,
0: continue. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry.
1: I was just going to pivot. Is there something about social media that you think encourages these disorders or like the, like narcissism and borderline personality and psychopathy, I think is the word mm-hmm. that you said? Is there okay. something that you see the way that it's built and the way that it encourages interaction that, that actually encourages certain behaviors that are in that cluster?
0: Yeah, for sure. Because now the other one I gave was antisocial personality disorder. Okay, antisocial, uh, okay. Right. Uh, but, you know, psychopathy and sociopathy are the terms that we're seeing. Those are the kind of the most extreme. Uh, not all narcissists are psychopaths, but all psychopaths are narcissists. OK. Mm, okay. And there's many which different is, types of.
1: Hmm? Which is the an inability to image the the self of another or there's different
0: ways there's different no, when I, I look at the common threads among malignant narcissists psychopaths antisocial personality disorder and sociopaths so the common thread is whether it's an inability or just a lack of any desire mm. to understand others to take the perspective to have any kind of empathy or compassion for them you mm. know to see them basically as tools to be used yeah right uh, and that's what i'm saying not all narcissists are malignant there are you know there are different types i just call them pathetic narcissists they live in their fantasy world yeah and you know, and they truly can't accept who they are. They truly are losers, or you know, I, I don't, it sounds pejorative, which it is, but like I'm not trying to say all oh, those losers, I'm just saying they haven't done anything in their lives, right, mm-hmm. but they can't accept it, so they just imagine themselves in a way that nobody else sees them, mm-hmm. right? But they're not necessarily doing harm, they're just annoying. A malignant <laughs> narcissist is like psychopath light, all right? Okay. So social media certainly contributes to the problem because it rewards people in some areas for doing bad things. If you Hmm. take someone down in a horrible way, this is why people lose against narcissists and psychopaths. They play by a different playbook. Yeah. Most people, you know, and and I work with so many people who Hmm. have been victims of narcissists, often in marriage. Oh, Hmm. lots. And I help them them hold their own. And the first thing I have to teach them is you're making so many assumptions about this person that are false. You think that they aren't <laughs> going to do this because, well, humans don't do that. Yeah. Oh, they will do it. Okay. Uh-huh. That's why I say they play by a different playbook. So, you know, the internet allows for that because most of the people on the internet are anonymous, mm-hmm. right? There's no risk to them. And one of the reasons we act as good people is if we don't, we get punished, you know, whether yeah. it's ostracization, whatever, right? So, the social media. Is the opposite of that. Instead of keeping mm. people in check and telling them, try no, don't be an asshole. It rewards them, uh, whether it's getting people to like them or whether they, you know, it, they they are able to get people off, you know, booted off the web or something like that. Yeah. Whether they box them, right. Yeah. So that's one way. And with borderline personality, the way that it really um, supports that. And with borderline personality, and and. I have so much compassion and empathy for people with borderline personality. I have a, a lot of patients with borderline traits. And if anyone's wondering what it is, because the term gets tossed around, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different traits. But to me, the big part is there's a lack of a uh, sense of self or identity. Hmm. OK, so we all play different roles, you know, whether I'm teaching, if I'm talking to you, if I'm, you know, talking to someone yeah. else, I'll interact slightly differently. But at heart, at core, I know who I am and that person, you know, sort of, goes through slight changes Mm. in each person but someone with borderline personality doesn't have that core Hmm. right and so when they're with someone especially a romantic partner or someone they're very close to there's no boundaries so they almost become like that person and that's why when that person leaves them it's terrifying because they've lost a a part of who they are they feel lost so that's part of it is also emotional ability so they're up and down constantly uh there's what we call splitting you're all good or all bad so i can't be A good person who's done something bad if I've done a hundred good things for -hmm. for someone with borderline personality I'm their god if I'm five minutes late suddenly I'm the devil okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. that extremeness uh, that reactivity so normally we don't want to condone such behavior or such mindsets but the internet is rewarding it as well because again they're they're surrounded by like-minded people who are doing the same thing that's one that's one way you get a reward because now there's a feeling of inclusion oh hey i'm not this isolated alone freak which a lot of activists have felt all their lives that they're not Mm. they've never been part of the main group they always felt like outcasts so whether it's joining this cause or whether it's being liked by a bunch of people and faceless strangers now they're finally belonging to something okay Mm -hmm. so um so someone with borderline personality for example they see other people encouraging them to act out as a psychologist we know the number one thing we try to do is get them not to act out hmm. contain themselves may be able to tolerate the discomfort that comes from a, an uncomfortable interaction and and so that they don't you know either lash out at others or harm themselves but they're being given a, a golden ticket to act Out on all these impulses which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do so that's where the reward comes plus lastly um despite having a lot of compassion and empathy i will never try to make someone feel like a victim okay will i tell them yeah you were victimized or yeah you had something terrible happen to you and yeah you know i can't believe that you're still here like kudos to you for having been able to survive that and, and not having offed yourself at some point because of the horrible things that happened to you or that are going in your head. I'll say all that, hmm. but I don't want them to feel like a victim. I want them to feel empowered and the Internet fosters the sense of victimhood hmm. and it makes them embrace it because that's where, you know, they, they, they get their sense of virtue being a yeah. victim. So. There you go. By the way, ask me what what day it is, and I'll give you a 20-minute answer.
1: (laughs) Well, no, not at all. Thank you very much. The next question that I'm going to – the next softball that I'm going to toss at you is that um, taking that as given that the Internet – is certain social media sites and the way that it's set up is uh, it's incentivizing incentivizing interaction. It's very addictive. It has some negative consequences if people have certain uh, are prone to certain disorders or, or certain uh, personality traits. Um, I don't know if an algorithm or a new program necessarily can fix that. Do you think that there could be a code of conduct for good faith actors in the internet to to adhere to? That would include in it the ability to recognize and not feed into certain sorts of disorders or just spot these spot these people acting in this way. And is there a way of engaging with them that doesn't actually give them more grist to to mill?
0: It's really, really difficult because um people. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I
1: see you okay over there.
0: That was my alarm. No, that was my alarm. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's it's challenging because in order to do that, you know, you need a lot of patience. You need to have a thick skin. And you need time. Hmm. You need to be able to engage that person. It's not going to happen just one time. It's a long-term process. Hmm. And so let's say I have a good interaction with somebody. And even if it's a two-hour interaction, I've had interactions with people where I say, look, let's take this offline. You know, and I've spoken face to face, you know, or, you know, over Skype or something like that. And I know other people have done this as well. And we actually had a connection and maybe Mm. I had a bit of a change. But now, as soon as we're done, they can go right back easily Mm. getting a fix because that one time is not enough to suddenly change their mind and go, oh, hey, he's not this monster or maybe there's better ways of doing it. There's too much temptation out there, Mm. you know, the easy route to just get that fixed. I want that anger fueled or this or that. So unfortunately, it, its I don't think there's any easy way to do it. Theoretically, there is, but in practice, it's really tough.
1: Do you think that something something like the cultural movement called the intellectual dark web or, or the cultural movement that Quillette is uh, fostering uh, could provide a strong enough consistent enough quality of interaction that like like forms a community where it can have a positive effect indirectly by by showing a consistency of let's just say interacting in good faith and 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 fighting in the proper way fighting constructively is that like could that possibly be a solution to kind of detoxify internet culture
0: i believe it is now the intellectual dark web So many people just dismiss it because they're afraid of it. You know, Mm. people are afraid of intellectual people. And they saw those. Oh, they're just snobs or they're right wing Mm. fascists, whatever else, even though they run the gamut. So that's a bit too small so far. okay? but I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, Quillette. I think that is the way to go. And I don't mean Quillette per se, although I'm a big fan. And um, Mm. Claire Lehman had her first Quillette event in Toronto uh, just this past Sunday. Uh, apropos of your question, mm-hmm. and there were so many people there. And I spoke to so many, um, you know, some big names and also just some normal folk. And, they, you know, so many of them said I was, you know, really left until I became right. Jamie Kilstein was there, um, gave a speech. He was the one who was uh, – he had his big thing on Joe Rogan years ago. He was a big social mm-hmm. justice warrior, okay. and then he had a great interview with Rogan where he talked about the process where he said I was that guy and he talked about in his speech where he said every day I'd go on there and I'd show everyone how woke I am and he would attack people and everything and then they turned on him mm-hmm. and there was another person I'm forgetting his name who wrote the article I was the social, uh, the you know, the mob until the mob came after me uh, that was published in Quillette as well I, believe. I spoke with him as well and there were many people at this Quillette gathering who had similar uh, experiences they may not have been as public but they saw just how nefarious some of these people are on the in the good camp and so quillette is a beautiful gathering of people mm. who i think have good intentions i don't know if i can't speak for everybody of course but speaking to people that where they really want to say look let's just bring a sense of decency and normalcy and fact based policy back to society so i really do think that organizations like that which is you know which are comprised of such a variety of different people with different opinions and they don't mm-hmm. all agree that's the same with the intellectual dark web as well they don't agree on everything the one thing they have in common is that we can all sit down and have a discussion with each other right uh a, a civil mm-hmm. discussion and i hope more and more um organizations or magazines or whatever oh, that's Uh, promote that. That's what we need. That's the only Hmm. way. And by the way, I mean, research has shown this. Every study has shown Hmm. that the way that you reduce prejudice or stigma or hate against other groups is to bring them together in a healthy way. It's got to be done in a healthy, productive way. And Quillette is doing that. Now, again, sadly, a lot of people in Quillette got there uh, not from a healthy way, right, because they got kicked out of their uh, group, and then they found solace in here. But, you know, if we could foster that type of um, let's say healthy engagement with others who don't think exactly like us and we realize oh they share four things in common with me and we disagree mm. on 20 different things and so they can have different views they don't have to all have this monolithic mindset yeah and that everyone must like right because that's where the problem comes i agree with you on 99 things but the one thing that's different yeah. suddenly i'm the enemy right yeah
1: so well, in a way that The, you know, the adage that the left is eating its own uh, will eventually just keep on like like some sort of neutrino star just flinging all this matter into the void might form a bunch of planets, exoplanets, let's say, uh, of these groups. But what are some of the fundamental principles that you see form a really good, vibrant, growing community um, that that can be inclusive? Like what are some of the attitudes or principles that the people in that community hold?
0: Well, one is the word that you used earlier curiosity, a mm-hmm. genuine desire to learn. Uh, because, you know, and I say this to my students every term, you know, you know, no matter how many times I've taught a course, I've taught human sexuality 70 something times. Every single term, I learn something from a student, mm-hmm. right? Uh, sometimes it's just a different perspective. Sometimes they've corrected me, you know, or they've updated me or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. Wow, I'm so excited. Like, I've learned something new. So, curiosity and the desire to learn is one, a thick skin is another because what do you mean by that well because if you're going to have a discussion and you think that you have um, a right opinion a fact-based opinion or something like that and you speak to somebody who maybe knows more than you do or you know has a different perspective if you don't have a thick skin you're going to take their correction personally and then you're going to shut down you're going to get defensive and you're not going to be able to learn because you're going to say they're not challenging my idea they're attacking me personally yeah Right. And that's pathological for someone, mm-hmm. like that, that's literally pathological. Someone believes that a correction of a statement, you know, that you've made is somehow a direct attack on you personally, right? You you have to have some kind of damage to your self-esteem mm-hmm. to, to see it that way, mm-hmm. okay? So that's where the thick skin comes in because, um, you know, whether it's busting balls or crushing ovaries, whatever term you want to <laughs> use, right? You know? That, that's part of, well, that's toxic masculinity, but well, that's part of the way. Yeah. <laughs> sorry?
1: I was just trying to be inclusive to the fun guy. I said, smashing spores so right. there you go yes. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: right you know but, but that's part of how we've related in in many times and okay. and again I'm, I'm i'm using that as the most extreme but you don't have to act that way the thick skin truly allows you to entertain ideas um that mm-hmm. you hadn't thought of before or you had and didn't quite like or didn't agree with and again you don't take it personally you take mm-hmm. it as a as a chance to see a different perspective you don't have to agree with it but you can at least say oh okay that's a different, you know, and not to just automatically assume the other person says that because they're evil or whatever else. So that's the other thing that you need, which is civility. Yeah, mm. have to have civility. And some people say you're a hypocrite because you're not civil. On you being me, I'm not civil online sometimes. I start off civilly, but if someone shows me quite clearly, I've learned I can tell very quickly if someone's acting in good faith. I okay. give everyone the benefit of the doubt to begin, and if I see quickly, okay, now this I see where they're going with this. You know, I'm just gonna say I'm, I'm giving you one more chance. Otherwise, I mute you, and then I mute them. Okay. Yeah. If someone right. acts like a complete jerk to me, uh, I'm not gonna go. Oh, poor me. I'll respond with a you know a funny comment. Well, I think it's yeah. funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. and, right. If someone comes at me in good faith and says something that might even you know hurt me, nothing hurts me. But you know, in theory, hurt me. Yeah. I will engage in them civil with them in civilly if I think that they're coming from a good place. They're not trying to hurt me they're trying to express a point, right? And Mm. that goes back to the thin skin. So the need for civility is very important. Mm. And I think really a lack of arrogance, because when you're arrogant, you don't believe you have anything new to learn, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to be humble enough to Mm. say, I can still learn from somebody. And that's what we need. Um, You know, and that's that's kind of like the fundamentals. Uh, Then we have to get rid of identity politics and all that other stuff. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. All those uh, things that you just said, uh, Reminds me of uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff's book, uh, "The Coddling of the American Mind." Like they basically yes. said, how our education system and our parenting styles are actually fostering arrogance and thin skin, yep. and all the all the things that you said—the inability to actually uh, d- uh, detach yourself from your ideas and and be able to let them play. So it's it's interesting that that's. Uh, that diagnosis dovetails with you what you're saying is exactly what we need are there any exercises uh that people can can do in their daily life to develop uh curiosity let's say or a thick skin yeah well
0: there's a few one and um, this is my thing uh, it's not my thing sorry it's just been around for since the beginning of time but i really promoted a lot of my patients it's become a cliche with me and i'm not joking learn to breathe properly huh. okay you know, and it's diaphragmatic breathing. I can bring everyone through an exercise, but basically, just it's short, <laughs> it's being able to breathe through your diaphragm without moving your chest and shoulders. Go to YouTube and type in diaphragmatic breathing, okay? okay. It's not because I say take deep breath, and people go, and that's the wrong way. That's not going to calm you down. Mm. Truly, to breathe through your okay. diaphragm so that your chest and shoulders don't move, because when you do that, that allows you in the moment of when mm. you're confronted with something that you don't like to not run away. To not put the walls up to not react, you know, like you're protecting yourself by lashing out you it c- Helps you create a space where you can actually hear what's being said And you can be curious because to be curious means to wander into places that might be dangerous quote-unquote, okay? Mm-hmm. So the breathing allows you to be able to be calm and controlled enough and you know to contain yourself enough to get to those spaces That's the number one exercise people need to learn Okay, mm-hmm. the second exercise Um, And I mean, this is the heart of cognitive behavior therapy truly is to step back and really question not what they're saying question yourself Question Mm -hmm. your reactions ask yourself. Why am I reacting this way? Okay, why is the most important question you can ever ask? Okay, Uh, at least psychologically speaking So that's an Mm -hmm. exercise and to be attuned to that, you know, you don't have to go through a 10-week cognitive behavioral program uh, to, to do this all you have to do is not be a slave to your emotions, not just mm-hmm. react automatically, but to really give yourself a bit of space, like I said, to really think about why am I acting this way or reacting this way or feeling this way? Mm-hmm. That is an exercise. And the sad thing is we've lost, we're losing the the capacity to do that because in order to do that, you need to, like I say, cre- I keep saying create the space. You need to be able to reflect. People don't reflect anymore because historically, up mm-hmm. until 10 years ago, Uh, Well, especially 10 years ago, we reflected in all those moments when we're not working right now, when we're not talking to somebody, when we're waiting for the bus, when we're walking down the street, when we're doing this or that. Yeah. We don't do that anymore because now those gaps are filled with these electronic devices. Yeah. Right. And so we're always externalizing. And so truly an exercise is to say, I'm going to be, I'm going to learn to be comfortable breathing again with the lack of external activity.
1: Yeah.
0: That allows me to reflect and ask all these questions. These are the exercises, and then the last one I would say is um, finding a podcast. I mean, it can be anything, but finding a podcast. I don't know Benjamin Boyce's,
1: uh, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> you know that, you. but but seriously, but finding podcasts about things that you're not familiar with. But it's good to find a podcast that you already know because just by dint of this, you know this this person's, uh, let's say style because you know, if you already feel comfortable with the person right yeah uh, like you know because you're familiar with them or you know the guest or something like that that can turn you on to a whole bunch of new ideas uh, because if I hear from someone I don't like I'm gonna be less responsive than yeah, if it's okay. something I do yeah. like like again Joe Rogan um, thanks to Joe Rogan I bought myself a sauna uh, you know, I put it in my basement one day without telling my wife. OK, thanks oh, to no. Joe Rogan. I, in, I investigated, we will say, um, professionally investigated things like DMT and ayahuasca. Oh,
1: um, OK. You know,
0: yeah. And float tanks and all these other things. Hmm. OK. Uh, you know, he turned me on to a lot of things. Hmm. It wasn't him per se. It was the guests he had. Yeah. And I looked into these things. And if I thought Joe Rogan was a jerk, I wouldn't have, you know, maybe uh, given the time for, for these yeah. things. So that's the way that you can build curiosity and yeah. and not to be afraid of it and just and, and the thing is this it's 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 a big perspective and a philosophy but the point is unless someone's got some secret that I don't know our time here is limited right mm-hmm. so. We want to make the most of that time, and how do we make the most time? Most of that time, well, humans—we know our brains have developed this capacity, not just for language, but for information, for perspectives, for imagination. There has to be some reason that evolution has blessed us with this capacity. So, why not fill up the time, that, you know, the limited time that we're here, yeah. with some of that, uh, you know, those new things? That's how you can really—I don't know—I I think be a better person.
1: Yeah. It seems like the internet is calling, social media is calling upon us to be virtuosos of reaction. And very few of us are virtuosos in that manner. And so we get taken away by just like that that flood of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It might be the case that some people are virtuosos of reaction. And I mean, just like taking on Twitter, just being able to come up with the right way to counter an attack by, by saying the thing that's just funny enough or just caring enough or just stern enough to pivot the conversation this way or that. And I wonder, I wonder if there will be, I hope that people are gaining mastery on how to behave on the internet. Um, I don't, I don't know. I I hope that that's the case. I hope that it's just so new that we're still just trying things out and that's why it can be so damaging. Um, I didn't, I don't really have a question at this point. I was just kind of trying to (laughs) catch up on my responses to what you're saying.
0: Well, if I can just uh, I'll keep this really short, I promise um, I don't have that optimism
1: no no,
0: okay uh, because and I hate to sound too simplistic, but as a parent as a court appointed parenting expert, I can tell you without a doubt that parents have really abdicated their responsibility, hmm. okay, and they are letting kids go you know online without the type of filters that they need not to become. Uh, sucked into this world that we're uh, talking about.
1: Yeah, hmm. that's interesting. Like, filters not against, like, negative content such as, like, pornography nope. or violence, but uh, filters against ways of behaving. Um, exactly. And ways of, yeah. of of viewing the world that, that lend themselves to, you know, very maybe a very small world, a very angry uh, sort of being. And, oh, yeah do you is there any solution that you have for that like uh just kids need to shut off the the internet well that's or... not going to happen okay,
0: yeah. that, that, okay. That, that'll never happen so the solution is either we sterilize all bad parents which ain't gonna happen okay <laughs> um and i'm being facetious internet because who gets to determine what makes a bad parent okay yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. my facetious response um the real response is for parents to truly uh change their their perspective and realize that when you have a child that in, that's a huge investment that's the most important thing that you can do it really is and you shouldn't have a child i'm not being judgmental here i'm being you know prescriptive here you shouldn't have a child unless you're prepared to devote the time and effort th- that's needed to raise them properly and part of that hmm. is to in this day and age now, is to help them prepare for the internet, right? That's It's pretty simple math, but too many parents, they, they, they aren't doing that. They they don't think about it, or they're hmm. too busy. They're too caught up in their own narcissistic and self-centered yes. world, hmm. right? And I'll tell you right now, if you want to distress yourself, here's what you do. Go to any park, uh, ice rink, or swimming pool, especially the swimming pool and ice rinks, all right? And watch the stands, almost all the parents are on their phones, or on their laptops. Now, when I go to see, watch my kids swim or do whatever, I've got my laptop or my phone as well, but, you know, because it's there, I gotta do some work. But they, every time they look up, almost every time, they're gonna see me looking at them. They see me watching them, all right? And when I look mm-hmm. at playgrounds, and I see, like, I, it's just, I should record this one day, but if you see how many kids are trying to get their parents' attention, whether they're four years old or eight, you know, and the parents are just too engrossed in their own thing, they are, you know, their phone, they are modeling for those kids a type of self-absorption. yeah. And so parents have parents are the ones who have to disconnect, have to try to model for their kids how best to behave. Uh, you know, and that's the best thing. And, and I have no faith because the parents today, the ones, you know, the last 10 years or so, they've been raised poorly as well. And and look what's happening. So, uh, you know, again, I'm not that optimistic about it. So
1: I I spent I spent several years working in preschool and I had this formulation just that came to me kind of organically, I guess, is that attention is the food for consciousness and, and how we become a self is through getting attention from other people that that mm-hmm. was just my experience do you, do you agree with that and do you know why attention is so important especially in our development as selves like why is that the the, the 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 money or the exchange rate of consciousness
0: yeah because when we when we're born for the first couple of years of life of our lives we're not we don't see ourselves you know as as you know an independent individual <laughs> sentient being Okay, we see ourselves as part of that other thing, which happens to be our parent. Yeah. So if that parent, if we don't have that attention, we are losing, We're uh, part of our development is being neglected. Okay, we're social animals. So when, when a parent looks at me and smiles, okay, or I smile or whatever, uh, there's a bond being connected. I'm having certain neurotransmitters released. I'm having uh, like oxytocin released. I'm getting a, mm-hmm. a good feeling, right? And I'm learning how to uh, function in the world. I'm learning to control my or master my environment. Okay. Or if I cry, right? And someone comes to me, obviously, a one year old doesn't put the formula, okay, well, if I cry, this is what happens, yeah. right? <laughs> but the pathways in our brain that, that are, are being formulated or are being formed, they have to go through these processes. So if we're being mm-hmm. neglected, those pathways aren't happening. So Mm -hmm. we're losing the sense of a feeling, uh, you know, the emotional feeling, the physiological reactions that come along with it. And that's all part of our identity. Because, um, you know, if if I have pride in myself, like very few people can get, it's hard for a a child, a baby, you know, to have pride in themselves without the feedback from someone to tell them, this is something to be proud of. For example, I'm taking one of many examples, or this is wrong because of the person's reaction. So without that attention, that's what's lacking with that feedback to tell us what we're doing because yes. what we are, what we're doing is a reflection of who we are. Yes. So that's why the identity kind of gets stumbles huh. uh, it, when we don't have that attention. And I'm not telling people that they have to, you know, give their kids, a, you know, attention all the time. I'm not saying that. Um, basically, kids are nar- Kids are born narcissists, yeah. right? Um, and around three to five or six, depending on the, the, you know, we have to start teaching the children no a, you don't get my attention all the time, and B, you can't act that way because there are other people, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And again, that as well teaches us of who we are. So there's, you know, because we're social animals, we are not an independent being. Who we are is always in relation to others, and therefore, that lack of attention, lack of, fe- it's a feedback more than attention, right? Because mm-hmm. um, even just looking at someone and smiling, that's feedback that, you know, that we have mirror neurons as well. I'm, I'm just throwing these kind of like, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we've learned about these mirror neurons. So if someone smiles at me, I will smile back at them almost automatically, right? Yeah. So if we don't have that attention, those mirror neurons as well aren't formulating in the way that they are supposed to formulate. So hmm. that's another reason.
1: You know. I and, wonder, and yeah. I wonder if one antidote to the toxicity of the internet uh, is the way that we put our, what, what sort of attention we put into the internet like last mm. I think it was two years ago or in the summer of 2017 that something happened in Charlottesville like uh, somebody got ran over and there's yeah. white uh, white nationalists and stuff and, and I saw this reaction I was really new to Twitter but I saw this reaction sweep the whole platform where everybody was talking about this thing Every everybody was reacting to this thing and and I had this kind of uh, this insight i don't know if i want to say that it was an insight but i just saw that that what the internet is doing is collapsing space so a traumatic event happens of significant trauma that all of our it it evokes all of those traumatic neurons in ourselves and, and it feels like we are right there and everybody's there at the same moment and and it evokes like uh it e- very easily evokes just negative emotions like fear is something that's very very rudimentary so most people will be feeling fear and then some people will be processing that fear and some people will have will be uh will be trying to navigate that or break it down and stuff so it it just it seems to me that one of the the things that if we do become aware of our reactivity states that we can choose to put in a certain sort of attention into the box, right? Rather than, and I don't know if that's necessarily going to defeat the other sorts of attention. If, if me being positive or me being funny is going to wash away the people that are being uh, trolls or the people who are being really scared and preying on victimhoods and stuff like that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I want to be positive. I want to be optimistic that that is one way that we can kind of change the culture for the better. Um, that's another statement that should be in the form of a question, but.
0: <laughs> well, I will. I think that that's important. Um, you mentioned the fear. I won't go off on that, but fear mm. is, to me, that's, that's the most important human emotion, sadly. It's the most
1: cause... important because yeah. if without that, we wouldn't survive, right? Without that, we.
0: Well, sadly, yeah. On one hand, yes, without that, we wouldn't survive because we'd just be walking into the jaws of saber toothed tigers all the time. And on the other hand, it also is what inhibits us, sadly. Okay. The most successful people are the ones who either don't have that fear switch or who are able to overcome it and still, you know, move forward. So fear is very important, yes. And so it's so you're right. When people have this traumatic event and they're unable to create a boundary uh, between themselves, and the event or the people being involved then they do as you say like you know vicariously uh, ha- have that fear heaped on them Yeah, and so the question is what do you do with it what you do with it? And this is where my optimism starts to wane notwithstanding mm-hmm. the quillettes of the world, which I think are is good You have people who are able to handle it well come forward and model for others how to behave
1: hmm. Okay,
0: hmm. and for some people right like well uh, and sadly who are those models? Historically, academics were some of those models. Really.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay? right? Because um, hmm. no, they're the ones you know they're erudite. they have in theory, you know they, they have this knowledge, yeah. they have they've gone you know they have this expertise in certain things and and they can kind of step aside and they can look at things from a you know a bird's eye perspective and say, this is what's really happening. It might feel this way, but this is what the research and the literature tells us. They've failed in that regard. Because they just jump in as well. And I'll tell you, the other ones would be the, you know, I've always put parentheses around mental, mental health professionals, either mental health or health professionals are the other leaders in that regard. Mm. And I i can't, this is what really distresses me the most. And it actually distresses me because um, when I engage in these types of discussions with my colleagues who are psychologists, they should be able to detach the way, you know, that I'm saying we should, huh. they react the same way a seven, some, not all my colleagues, but many of them react the same way a 17 or an 18 year old high school or first year university student would, re, would react, or the way that you said the Twitterverse, you know, collapsed into this uh, the, the Charlottesville uh, um, horror. They yeah. are reacting the same way. They're being triggered. They're mm-hmm. losing objectivity. And if that's how they're reacting, yeah, you know, to an email that I put out. <laughs> Then how are they going to be reacting? Either one on one with their patients, or when they are in a role where they could either as educators or policymakers or you know something like that or, or guides. Yeah. How are they going to be able to really take the proper perspective that we're talking about? <laughs> but that is the way it's supposed to happen. We need a few yeah. people because look, here's the thing: if there's if there's one person being beaten up by you know by another person, if there's tw- uh, thirty people surrounding them, most people are not going to act right. Well, sorry, today, in today's world, they're all going to act. They're going to whip out their cameras and start filming a world star, okay? But prior to that, most people wouldn't act. If one person jumps in and and, confronts that other person, most other people will. That's the the social uh, uh, animal component of us. If that other person joins in and starts kicking the shit out of that person, right, then other people will join in as well or they'll turn a blind eye, right? So I'm saying Hmm. that when these things happen, I know for a fact, That if a few strong voices do speak out, they can help, you know, again, pivot in the right direction so that we don't descend into madness. Mm -hmm. And the people who should be doing that are failing. Oh, by the way, news is the other one that was supposed to be historically. News are supposed to help us know how to
1: react and everything like Mm -hmm. that. And look what they do. Frame things, yeah. Yeah. It's such a... I know anger is useful and dangerous at the same time. But like when I hear adults acting like that, professional adults, like with the evergreen thing, it wasn't necessarily what how the young people were acting like I could totally forgive that. I mean, it's awful and amazingly awful, but it's the way that the administration, it's the way that the professors acted that that just totally enrages me like that failure of maturity. Like what is the excuse for that? And okay, I, I don't have to excuse it, but what's the what's the what's the antidote to that? Like if these are the people who are in charge, if these are the people who are writing the guidelines to how to treat men, you know like where what's going to be the result? Like is it too late? Like yeah, I guess like my my optimism is on shaky ground now too. But
0: I've done my job, yeah. But what's <laughs> the antidote? Right? Brett Weinstein was the antidote, right? And Evergreen, um, yeah. Yeah, at Evergreen for example. Uh, When it comes to this stupid policy that the APA has come out with, which, again, in theory, it was supposed to be good. They're saying, hey, let's let's not forget the fact that men are feeling vulnerable in today's society. Many men are, and the stats are all there. And I've been arguing this for years as well,
1: right? This is how they deal with vulnerable men, by calling them inherently evil and corrupt? I'm sorry. That's
0: it. No, but it's not your fault, Benjamin.
1: It's the patriarchy. That's not, dude. You're a victim of the patriarchy. Uh, I want to punch the patriarchy just because it's so fucking uh, condescending. Jeez. Uh,
0: I know. Uh, and, and sadly, like truly, this is going to be something that becomes, they're hoping that it becomes kind of just common knowledge. Like, you know, that's, they already think the patriarchy is. And if you read the document, I recommend everyone read the damn document. Don't read the articles about them. Read the document itself. Yeah. It does make reference to the patriarchy as if that's a fact. It's an accepted fact, right? So um, there's no excuse for it. There's literally no excuse for it. Um, What I believe is that some of the people, whether it's uh, when we talk about transgender issues or masculinity or any of these other issues, some of the people who are leading the charge are hurt, broken people. They have found a, a, a way that they can somehow redeem themselves, they can reclaim their past, they can heal the wounds of their own past, and because it's under the guise of you know of being virtuous or righteous, they're getting away with it, all right? Because they're saying, I'm helping others, and this is how you help others. And because these weak-minded colleagues of mine in other areas are too afraid to, you know, most of them are too afraid to say that the emperor is running around damn naked, yeah. you know, they just go along with it now. Some of them, the only, and it's not an excuse, but the only explanation for some of them is that they've seen what happens when other people speak out. Look at Brett Weinstein and you know Heather Heng. Yeah. Uh, look yeah. at Ken Zucker in Canada. Everyone Google Ken Zucker. Um, you know, anytime people have spoken out, they've been attacked mercilessly. And so, someone starting out, I don't expect them to try to you know take on yeah. all their colleagues. And I've had many people ask me, and I say, you got to watch yourself. Just mm. don't succumb to the ideology. Do your part in your little ways mm. to try to make a few changes here or there if you can. Uh, sadly, if you do stand out, if you you know if you do stand up, you're going to get hammered in many yeah. cases, and the internet is you know just is is uh, facilitating mm. that, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, so it truly the antidote is for more and more people to stand out, and I hate to say it again, but Quillette truly. I mean, I I don't know if there's any larger gathering of people Hmm. who are taking chances, who have taken chances, and, you know, that slash the intellectual dark web, and are trying to speak out against the madness. And, you know, and I tell people, you're not going to change most of the internet, but if you have a neighbor or a friend or whatever else, you know, maybe there's a lot of them that you're not going to be able to change, but talk to one or two people face to face. Let them see you. Don't try to you know, proselytize them and don't try to, you know, turn them around. But if you conduct yourself as a good human being, that's going to lead them to, you know, to have a bit of cognitive dissonance there, which, wait wait a second, this guy believes in A, B, and C, but he doesn't act like a monster. Now, Mm -hmm. sadly, too many people out there say, well, therefore, that the not acting like They're enabling the monster. No, no, that that not acting like a monster is a ruse. Oh, okay. They're (laughs) just waiting for that mask to come off, okay? So, you know, what is it called? Um the um something concern. Like when, when uh well they are claiming that. So if, if I it's like fake Conc- concern based. Concern
1: to... trolling, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Concern
0: okay. trolling, right? Versus saying, no, maybe this person is genuinely concerned, maybe they have an actual point, and maybe their point doesn't necessarily negate what you're trying to do. All they're saying is that what you're trying to do is just not either fact based or there are a few holes in it that we have to fill up. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, if you really look at it, what you're trying to do, not you, of course, but what these people yeah. are trying to do, the genesis of this truly, in many cases, is a person or a few people who are very questionable as people, if mm-hmm. you look at their history, if, if their perspectives, their beliefs, mm-hmm. and yet we're blindly just following them along,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, or mm-hmm. following along with what they're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Really examine it. And I'm not trying to single any individual,
1: yeah,
0: um, yeah. you know, but... but I see it. It's it's oh, it's, oh, it, it's it's um, it's like was the the fiddler um, Cicero is is you know watching yeah, well, play, the, you know, play the play yeah. the fiddle as Rome burns. It's frustrating. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's.
1: Yeah, I I I need to I need to let you go. Um, I we didn't get into masculinity. Would you be amenable to coming back and and cracking open that, that oh, uh, pair of sure. nuts? <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> a pair of nuts. Yes yes i i would and i want to say though i do want to say don't cut this out okay okay right. i do want to say this because i think it dovetails or it calls back to what we were talking about earlier okay i would love to come back because i don't know if you remember because i was just a little icon um back when you had i think it was your first or maybe second interview it was with um with brett uh weinstein um in on, on his porch
1: okay yeah 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 yeah
0: right and you had an interview with him and it was one of your earlier interviews. It was after you, I because you've done all these other videos on, on, on. Uh, oh my God, the college. Evergreen, um, yeah. Evergreen, Evergreen,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Against
0: the meds, okay. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I was watching sure. all of those videos, and I saw you being one of the few people who actually was trying to give an inside scoop on this, okay. But then you interviewed yeah. Brett, okay. And I put a comment, and I wasn't trying to be an asshole. It was just a constructive feedback where I said something like, "Let him speak more. You're jumping in too much, and just trying to, you know, like I just thought you and you. Instead of getting defensive or having a thin skin, you made a comment. Like, I forget what you said, but you acknowledged it. Huh. And simply acknowledge No, no, seriously, you acknowledge it. I was gonna but be I, really I,
1: embarrassed with my reaction.
0: No, no, okay. and and look, and I don't people know me. I don't flatter, okay, unless I'm being obviously so like comedically, all right. This is genuine <laughs> praise that for someone hmm. on the internet, just starting out at the time. Having some stranger say these things. And hmm. as you know, you put something out there, you have some people who are supportive, and then you have a bunch of trolls and assholes and everything. So, yeah. you know, it's easy to just lump everybody together, every negative comment. You didn't. You took it constructively. You hmm. responded um, nicely and genuinely and civilly. And then I responded in kind. And that was it. And that told me something. They said, This guy, he's, he's got there's something to him. So I, I wanted to acknowledge that. I'm so glad that Thank we had you. the chance. Okay? Because now I finally got to say it. There. Fuck it. Yeah, okay.
1: There. <laughs> Awesome. I was, I was, I was really scared that I had uh, shown my insecurity in that moment. I'm glad I didn't succumb to that. Uh, no, you, you
0: handled yourself perfectly. Very commendable. So, well, thank you so very much, you doctor.
1: It. Let's, I, I'll, I'll cut this off right after I praise you for your work that you're doing. Um, is there anything that I can link, uh, th- like wh- where's your hub for all of your wisdom? Like, where does it, where does it congregate? Online. Here. Yeah. Oh, online. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's um, three things. Doc Amity, so D-O-C-A-M-I-T-A-Y. So it's either my website, docamity.com, docamity okay. on YouTube, or my Twitter okay. handle is docamity.
1: Doc Amity. Okay. Uh, I hope to shuttle more people your way. And we will pick up Thank this you. conversation when we, when we have a chance, which is hopefully sooner.
0: I was really look forward to it.